Welcome back to Monday Night Live. I'm Derek Arden. This is part two of a fantastic session with Tracy Hooper. If you haven't seen part one, please uh, look at it or listen to it on the podcast as soon as you can. It's so important using power words rather than softeners. Welcome back, Tracy. Thanks for joining us yet again from Portland, Oregon. I think you're going to talk to us about validators and some other key words that we should or should not be using that we need to be aware of. I don't want people to feel like they shouldn't use these words, but be mindful of words that are worthy of you, that are strong, that make you seem more confident. And I believe it, it using these words to use becomes then a virtuous cycle going up. Once you use words that I'll be discussing that make you seem more confident, then you'll feel more confident, then other people will have more confidence in you. And I encourage people to think of, or to focus on one word to lose every 30 days and what they can replace it with in that 30 day period. I was working with a, a woman who was in the tech space for 15 years, quite successful. And she said to me during the course of our conversation, I, I know my stuff and I'm pretty good at what I do. But lately we've been hiring a lot of young talent and I just feel like people aren't taking me seriously. And I don't know, I, I don't feel very confident. And I thought in that short paragraph, that person used several words to lose that, that undermined her voice. And I said to her, let's be, more, let's be more strategic about your words. Do you have a sticky pad? And she said, yes. And I said, oh, great, I want you to take your sticky pad and I want you to write these words on the sticky pad from my perspective, what I've learned after 15 years in the tech industry, our data shows people can't argue with data typically, or I recommend, my recommendation is that we go with this project. She told me that within two weeks, people started treating her differently. She said, it's as if I have more authority and influence. I said, you always have, but now your words match your capabilities. That's why these words to use are important. All right, on to validators. Validators are words that we use to try to get buy-in from the audience. We wanna make sure people, whether it's one person or 20, are understanding or they're riding along with us on this journey that we're taking them. A validator would be something like, does that make sense? Or am I being clear? Or do you see what I'm saying? Do you know what I mean? Now, context is key. We talked about this earlier. Context is key. I was giving a presentation at a big law firm here in town, and one of the senior partners said to me, look, we're in family law. <laughs> so we're talking about divorce, alimony, child support, trusts, estates, bank accounts. It's intense, it's emotional, and it's complicated. Sometimes I want to say to my client, does that make sense? And I said, absolutely. And you can also say, do you have any questions? Do I need to clarify anything? How's this landing with you? Those are words that we can shift to, phrases that we can shift to that sound more confident. Instead of saying, does that make sense? You could say, do you have any questions? Am I being clear? Is there anything I need to clarify? Do you see what I'm saying? How's this landing with you? Same intent, stronger. 
Now here, I'm gonna put this out to everybody. Here's what I call the trifecta. What do you think is the one word that I'm hearing constantly in the US, be very curious how it is in the UK, that's a filler, a hedge, and a validator all at once. Can anyone think what that one word might be? It's used constantly. Tim Durkin has an idea. Right? Yes, Tim. <laughs> it's a, it's also a punctuation mark. It drives me crazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, know. I know, right? Arsenal beat the Spurs, right? It's, it's extraordinary. And it is new. I would say in the past two or three years, it hasn't been around that long as a trendy word. Fascinating. I was and all it started with the youngest generation, and now I hear baby boomers, the sixty and up, using it. It makes me crazy. It's not a punctuation mark, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's as if we're trying to get people to nod the whole time. We don't even give people a chance to disagree or have a different perspective. Great article in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago. It says. So you're familiar with Zuck talk, right? Mark Zuckerberg's rhetorical tics have become ubiquitous. So in spoken language, there are these things that just sort of show up over time. And then it seems they're like everywhere. And so we call them trends, right? How many, <laughs> how many hedges and fillers are used in this? And they're of course making a joke of it. Then they talk about how Influential people like Mark Zuckerberg, for instance, are using these expressions and then they become a part of the vernacular. Simon Sinek, everybody knows Simon Sinek who wrote, who gave the TED talk, uh, what was it called? Start oh, with why. Yeah. I heard him, of course we all have, giving that TED talk. It was impeccable. He was on a flip chart. He was using a flip chart. He had the microphone and holding the microphone. The microphone died, someone, a tech person came in and gave him a new microphone. He never missed a beat. It was incredible. Fast forward two, three years later, I heard him speaking on a podcast about millennials and in the workplace. He used the word right, right? 38 times in a 12 minute interview. It was astonishing. Remember I talked in the beginning about how culture influences how we speak, how we behave, what we do. Simon Sinek, who is Harvard educated and a thought leader in, in, the, in the leadership space, wants to fit into. He was surrounded by a group of millennials in the audience. He wanted to fit in. And no one is telling him that he's beginning to sound like everybody else. That's the other point I want to make. I want everyone, we all want to feel like we're ourselves. We want to be authentically who we are but we don't want to succumb to trendy language that isn't as strong as we are, that doesn't reflect who we really can be. You can see, Derek, I get excited about this because these are small changes we can make in our behaviors at, at, at behavior at any age that can make a difference for the rest of our lives. And as you say, pass it on to the next generation. Tracy, I'm speaking at Durham University in uh, two weeks time to, um some um, graduates, some students, you know, I might be tempted to get into a bit of their sort of younger language, like uh, call or uh, texting is, you're saying that's bad. I'm gonna lose my authority if I do that, aren't you? No, I think you can throw some of those words in to relate to them. 
And I will also say that we are now, I am now at an age where I have wisdom to share. I don't want to be like a millennial. I'm not a millennial. I am learning from their uh, technical skills. I'm learning from their perspective. I love everyone's perspective. But I also think it's important for us to be ourselves. And if we try to act like other people, then they won't have anyone to look up to. And, and you know what I want to say right now? I want to say, does that make sense? <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Oh it's easy. I do want to get feedback. And it's, it's easy to slip into that. It is quite a worry, actually, when we go into this sort of, um, sort of, I'll drop that, when we go into this discussion and then we see a really good speaker on stage or on TV or whatever, and suddenly we start picking up that they're, they're doing this. But I suppose that's the, way, that's the way we learn. One quick question on this. A lot of TV interviewers say in the UK, I don't know whether this is in the US, say, thank you very much, indeed. Thank you very much indeed. Oh. And it seems to be being overplayed. Now, I started noticing it all the time, but um, uh, does that happen in the US? I haven't heard that very much. What I have found is at the end of an interview, an interviewer will say, uh, thanks very much, John. And John will say, thank you. Whatever happened to your welcome? <laughs> You're very welcome. Happy to be here. That's another trend. The other piece that I'm picking up because I watch a lot of television to absorb, I mean, because I want to be, know what's happening in the world, but also I like to hear the trends that I, to pick up on trends. And I notice that someone will say, uh, uh, Jill English is our guest today and we're delighted to have her here. Uh, Jill, welcome. And Jill says, thank you for having me. Well, we don't need to thank the person who's interviewing us for having us on the show uh, necessarily. Um, it, it, it's more important, I think, to go right into the topic. Jill, oh, let me say this differently. So Jill English is here uh, to talk with us about the importance of strong language in the workplace. Jill, we're happy to have you. Let's start with the first question. What do you think is the most important item to tackle today? And Jill could say, thank you very much for having me. We don't need to hear her say that. Answer the question right away. Jill, I'm not picking on you, but it's what I hear. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't move the conversation forward. It's a filler, so to speak, and it sounds polite, but it's not necessarily making someone sound strong. And not that we need to be strong all the time, but it's, I love listening to someone who is articulate and interesting and has creative language in the process of communicating. Yeah. Um, it's not, a it's not appropriate to say it's a privilege to be here. It's a privilege to be invited. Well, you can say that if the person says, thank you for being here, then you can say, thank you very much for having me, or it's a privilege. But if the interviewer goes right into the question and says, what do you think is the most important issue of our day? Then if someone says, oh, thank you very much for having me, the most important issue of the day is, it feels cumbersome to me. And remember you all, I'm picky about this. I want you to pick what works for you, what is relevant to your industry or to your profession. Great. Um, Paul Coleman's put something in the uh, in the chat box, which um, is really, dear, really dear to my heart and makes me really cross, particularly with uh, millennials. When you um, when you say um, when you thank someone for it and they go, no worries, it was nothing. 
But that no worries, which is very Australian, which has crept all over to the UK to millennials, really bothers me. I, I have actually got hold of a couple of people and nearly shaken them and said what Paul said, just to say you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. May I offer now some ideas to talk about how to speak up for yourself if you're interrupted? Yes, These are also words, words to use. Fantastic. Especially when you're on a call like this, where there are many people and there might be a, a lot of voices, people want to be heard. And it, we all have experienced that serial interrupter, that person who jumps on everybody and wants to be the first person to speak. The most important technique you can use, in my view, is to say the person's name. When you use someone's name, it gets their attention long enough to get them to stop talking. And then you could say something like, Ricardo, hold on one moment, please. I think you'll be interested in this. You've said his name, you've gotten his attention, and then you say, you'll be interested in this. Well, that is a very interesting technique for him to say, oh, okay, I'll be quiet long enough to listen to what you think I'll be interested in. Or you could say, Bill, hang on a second. I'd like to finish hearing what Mary's saying. Go ahead, Mary. Now that's supporting other people on the call. You acknowledge, you use the person's name. It gets the person's attention. I'd like to finish here what Mary says. And then Mary gets to finish her talk. This is a really great way of not only being able to assert yourself into a conversation if you want to make a comment, but you could also practice uh, what is known as, what's the expression? Uh, they used it in the Obama administration. I shouldn't have brought it up if I don't know the name of it. But when you're acknowledging someone else, then it, it lets other people know that everyone in the room gets to be heard. I'll come up with that name. Mm. Stand by. Stand by. Okay. <laughs> Shall we talk about, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, please. <laughs> I want to be conscious of our time, but this is one of those words to lose that is overused in the United States. Now, back to context. Context is key. If you've made a mistake, by all means, there's nothing better than a confident apology. I'm sorry I missed the deadline. I know that messed up your project calendar. If I get the information to you by Tuesday, will that work? That's an authentic apology. If you've hurt someone's feelings, if you stepped on someone's toe, of course you need to apologize or to express empathy. In, in our world today, we need more empathy than ever to say to someone, I'm sorry this is happening to you. What can I do to help you? Or as my 32 year old daughter says, mom, say to people, what do you need me to know? What do you need me to know? I'm sorry this is going on for you. What do you need me to know? That's when you need to apologize. But think about when you're, uh, when you're in a conversation or you are listening to someone else speak, how often do you hear the word, I'm sorry? For instance, two people headed for the same door. Oh, sorry. Or you could say to the person after you, going into a even a COVID safe elevator. Oh, sorry, sorry about that. Or you could say, I have a meeting in five minutes. Would you mind if I got on the elevator first? Simple request, don't need to apologize. Think about those conversations. In fact, I'm sorry has become such a big deal, you all, that there's a book called The Sorry Syndrome. It talks about 
<laughs> Why We Apologize So Much by John Waterhouse. Uh, tell me what you all think over apologizing why people do it. Any thoughts from the group? Why do you think people apologize so often? Well, everyone's on mute at the moment, but I have to say, I'm wondering if Alex is going to come in like I'm about to come in and say it's very English and very polite to say I'm sorry. Now, I'm listening to what you're saying, but I'm just wondering if it's something gets missed as we fly over the Atlantic. I don't know what others think. Uh, it, it's very English to uh, be bumped into by another pedestrian on the street and you apologize for them hitting you. Um, it's their fault they did it, but you go, oh, sorry. And that is very English. And you can use that in all sorts of contexts. But I think that's a cultural thing. Yes. Or it could be if you say sorry, it could be I didn't hear you. Could you repeat that, please? Or I didn't understand. Culturally, that's completely appropriate. I was giving a presentation one time and one woman raised her hand. She said, I'm from Canada. We apologize all the time. <laughs> and that's true. That's why culture is so important. If it's culturally relevant or appropriate, by all means, it's proper. In the US, it's used when we're making all kinds of mistakes, but when we're not making mistakes. And that's the point here. It chips away at our confidence. It sends the message that we're making all kinds of mistakes when we're not. And it's exhausting to hear ourselves apologize constantly. Let's talk about some apologies. Uh, how often have you heard someone say, um, let me get my notes here because I have some really great ones here. I'm sorry you seem upset. Have you heard people say that? I'm sorry you seem upset. Very much so. You could say to someone, it looks like you're upset, Nigel. How can I help you? It looks like you're upset. You're not taking responsibility for Nigel being upset, but you're acknowledging that. Or, I'm sorry to ask this question. Questions are good. <laughs> CEOs are telling us they're looking for people with a high CQ, a high curiosity quotient. So ask away. And trust me, if you have a question, somebody else does too. So you're now the hero in the group. Instead, you could say, I have a question about that, or is now a good time for questions? I'm sorry, I don't understand. We don't have to understand everything. When you say you don't understand, it could give the impression that you're not smart, that you're not getting it. But that's not the point. The point is the person who's doing the talking may not be being clear. Mm. Instead of saying, I'm sorry, I don't understand, you could say, could you clarify that point, please? Could you say more about that, please? Could you expand on that, please? Practice one phrase every 30 days, you all. I don't want to overwhelm you with all of these. The big takeaway about I'm sorry, and we could go on forever. Oh, how about this? I'm sorry I'm late responding to your email. How many people get an I'm sorry in an email once a day, once a week? Mm. Sorry I'm late. Sorry I took the dog to the vet. Sorry, I was on vacation. Never apologize for being on vacation. Instead, you could say, thank you for your patience. Mm -hmm. Thank you for waiting for this email. I wanted to gather all the data before I responded to you. Thanks for waiting. And that's the takeaway here, you all. When you can switch from I'm sorry to thank you, 
that can make a big difference. For instance, think about all the sorries that have happened during the time of COVID. You know, um, sorry, you have to wear a mask. Sorry, we need to keep our distance. Oh, sorry, I I'm not ready to shake hands yet. <laughs> and on Zoom calls, on video calls, um, uh, sorry, I'm on mute. Sorry for all the noise. My neighbor's leaf blower is going. <laughs> uh, sorry about my Wi-Fi issues. Sorry, I, sorry, 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 sorry. You could say, thank you for reminding me to unmute. Thank you for your patience with the noise. Thank you for your flexibility with my Wi-Fi. Thank you for welcoming my crazy cat into our conversation, <laughs> whatever is happening. Uh, thank you. Uh, would you repeat that, please? You cut out. Thanks very much. Whenever you can switch, I'm sorry to thank you. It's stronger. I can really see that. I can really see that. It's going to take a lot of use getting rid of, getting rid of some of these words and, and changing them. And in, in NLP terms, some of these are just reframing, just reframing the words. But uh, you have to stop and think before you, uh, before you can reframe them. Um, mm -hmm. that, uh, Tracy and I did a session, two sessions actually on NLP, which is uh, on, uh, on YouTube if anyone's interested in it. And we went through the uh, 14, really, 14 psychological issues that you can use for your advantage on uh, positivity. Uh, it's on my YouTube channel and please, uh, Ask me for the link if you want to look at it or listen to it on the Negotiators podcast. Tracy, we're nearly coming to the end of this session. We've got one or two comments in the chat box. And if anyone's got, uh, we've got time for two short, sharp, specific questions if, um, before, uh, before Tracy wraps up, because you know the, uh, you know the rules on uh, speaking, never finish on questions because uh, you may get an awful question which ruins your finish. And so always give the speaker the advantage and the opportunity to close uh, professionally. So any questions to uh, short, sharp, specific questions? Well, doesn't, uh, doesn't look like we have immediately. Let's just have a little look in the uh, chat. I think, I think I've scared people, Derek. <laughs> I think people are afraid to talk because they're, they're, uh, they're worried they're going to use one of these words to yeah, lose. They might, say, they might say sorry, actually. Uh, um, <laughs> I know. Grace apologized. I guess that's a sorry. She needed to leave because she had no sound. So we'll take that one. Um, Tim asks, is right used in the right way in the UK? I think it is, says Adam. Um, and John says the English culture would be to say thank you for having me. And I think um, probably I and I bet Will does as well often says thank you for having me or thank you for the introduction or whatever when we're presented on stage. But I'll ask Will about that when we come off of the, um, no, I won't, I'll ask him now because he's got his hand up, Will. Go for it. There's a number of old men on this call like me. I, I don't know whether you agree with me and whether it's the same Tracy in the US, but there's so many of the younger presenters on radio saying all the stuff you've been taught. Sorry, shouldn't use the word stuff. Yeah. Um, I, the you know bit, that is used so regularly and so many bad fillers. And I'm thinking they just haven't been taught properly. They're getting paid a whack of money 
and yet they don't come over well at all. I listen to a program at five o'clock in the morning called Wake Up to Money. And there's a guy on it called Sean Farringdon. If any of you get up early in the morning, you could listen to it, Tracy, at midnight because it's uh, your, oh no, your, how, how many hours are you behind the UK? Uh, it's, well, it's, it's 10 a.m. here on Monday. And so it's six oh, years. So, okay, so it's uh, eight hours. So you could listen to this program, Wake Up to Money on, on the radio, and he is so bad and I get so annoyed. I'm lying there in bed listening to him. And uh, I just thought I'd vent my feelings about bad presenters. Yeah. With, I, if I may, I was going to ask uh, Tracy a very similar question on this theme, uh, but I was coming from a different angle with Tracy's uh, a television presenting hat. Um, the BBC are particularly bad now, in my view, but it's an age thing probably, of choosing presenters on a whole range of programmes who probably haven't been trained, probably don't have the education, and they use all the things you're suggesting we should not be using. And their pronunciation is bad, but their grammar is bad. They will say, I'm sat here watching, rather than I'm sitting, for example. And my generation will pick up on that and they'll miss the point. So my question is, sorry, I said so. Uh, my question is, do you think the broadcaster has chosen them deliberately to break down the age barrier and attract younger viewers and listeners, or do they just not bother? I absolutely think they have. <laughs> They're trying to get a younger audience. There's so much competition. So I'm saying that to be definitive, Tim. There is an enormous amount of competition out there and they want to get the viewers because then that attracts the advertisers and then they make more money for the BBC or ABC or wherever we're watching. That brings me back to why those of us who are of a certain age, and even if you're not of a certain age, that you speak with, with authority and that your words have impact and that you're using grammar properly. How many times are we hearing people say, me and Alex did this. Me and Jill did that. Oh, that makes me nuts. Jill and I did that. Alex and I will meet the deadline. That's part of my presentation when I work with, I'm doing a presentation for a big real estate development company in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday. That's going to be one of my big takeaways. I believe we need to have language that elevates everyone else and stand tall in your proper use of language and using words that are strong and not fillers and hedges. Let's let our age, our, our wisdom carry us forward and, and other people in the world as well. Tracy, that's been fantastic. Uh, we're nearly out of time. Um, I've got to tell you that I, you've introduced a new, two new words to me or linked together, the CQ quotient the curiosity quotient i'd never heard of that before and uh, as a uh, professional negotiating coach that's what i'm trying to get everybody to be curious about where the other person's coming on from where the other side's coming from so that hasn't 
come across the Atlantic to me and Nancy's uh, nodding at me as well. So that's fantastic. I've tucked that one away. And uh, before I ask you to sum up, will you come back and join us next year um, from, from Portland? That's been absolutely fantastic. A whole range of ideas and things to think about. Things to think about. Oh, no. Blow it. <laughs> Blow it. Um, absolutely fantastic. Let you summarise now. And then if you'd stay on and join us after we've... Uh, close the uh, conversation we can talk about the f word which is in the uh, which is in the chat box yep i saw that we can certainly address that thank you very much i'd be honored to come back i appreciate the opportunity i love making friends all around the world and you all are warm and welcome and i, I i've gotten so much feedback from your nonverbals, the leaning in the nodding i appreciate that very much here's what i'll say there is a truism about confidence and that is that confidence accommodates change. And I assure you, if there's one thing we've all experienced in the past 19, 18, 19 months, is that change is the new reality and that we need to adapt to a changing world. But I believe if you adapt some of these words to use and lose some of these words that are unnecessary, that are fillers or hedges, that you will, you will find that not only will you have more confidence in yourself, but other people will have more confidence in you and they will be more willing to talk to you and listen to you and negotiate with you and mentor you and hire you or promote you or recommend you or introduce you. There's nothing but positive that can come from adapting some of these words and making them a part of your professional presence. Tracy Hooper, thank you so much. That was absolutely fantastic. When you come to the UK, please join us for dinner. We're going to be meeting up on several occasions. Uh, and would everyone give Tracy the usual round of applause from the Monday Night Chat Show? Thank, thank you, you so everybody. Much. What a pleasure to be here. Thank so much, you. Tracy.